0: Okay. So, let's visualize the merit field, surrounded by all the sentient beings in human form. To so contemplate how sentient beings, ourselves included, suffer due to ignorance, anger, and attachment. How those mental factors propel us to do actions that harm ourselves and harm our others and plant the seeds of negative karma in our own mind streams. let's make a determination ourselves to do our best to free ourselves of these three poisonous attitudes and to help others do the same. And in order to do that, we have to really exert effort to overcome our own three poisons and then also develop the wisdom realizing emptiness and the bodhicitta attitude that will enable us to open our hearts to other beings and do whatever we can to free them as well. So, of course, we have to be aware of how the three poisonous attitudes contaminate and pollute our own mind. But if we just stay focused on how they harm us, then being attached and then having anger and then not being able to consider other sentient beings and what's happening to them then that happens to us too. We just get focused on my afflictions and my samsara and I've got to liberate myself. And when our mind is focused like that, then it's very difficult for us to help others uh, be, learn how to be free of samsara. Okay, So that's why we have to really work to f- purify our own mind and generate these good qualities so that we can then use them to be of benefit to other living beings, okay? And not just stay stuck in my samsara, okay? And not go to the other extreme of pretending that we aren't in samsara and we're so holy and good when, that we're going to save everybody when In actual fact, our own minds are a mess. So we don't want to go to either extreme there. Okay? Work on ourselves, be of benefit to others. Okay. So we're on page 212. Almost halfway down. The twelve links produce one rebirth after another without the intercession of an external force, such as a creator deity, a universal mind, or a cosmic substance from, with ev- from which everything is derived. So we've been talking here about the causes of samsara, you know, and really uh, refuting a lot of the ideas of the non-Buddhists at the at uh, the early in the early days of Buddhism, who thought that Ishvara or Brahma created the world, that there was a, a primal substance out of which everything was created, you know, things like that. Nowadays, there's there's the thought of some cosmic universal mind that we are all a chip out of, um, yeah. So all these kinds of ideas are—they're uh, based on—they're supported by grasping at inherent existence and looking outward for a cause for what actually occurs due to our own mind. Okay, saying it's the external, de- it's the deity that made this happen to me you know, like it's God's will, or everything arose out of the primal substance, kind of like everything was faded and the results already exist in the cause. Okay, that was the Samkhya view, uh, you know. And so these kind of views in really, you know, they prevent us from because we're grasping at the wrong things, so we don't really understand the true cause of samsara. And without understanding it, we can't uh, search for the antidotes and can't apply the antidotes, so we can't be liberated. Yeah. So it's really important um, to shift and to learn that the, the causes of our samsara are inside. And we know this intellectually, and we say it, But when somebody does something we don't like, we point the finger at them and we say, you're the cause of my suffering. Yeah? So, you know, we know it up here, but here we're out to lunch. So we have to really go over again and again and again, researching this and seeing in our own experience how the internal ignorance you know, grasping inherent existence lies behind the whole mess, and then focus on the antidote to that, which is the wisdom realizing emptiness. Ju Meepam says in the Sword of Wisdom for thoroughly ascertaining reality, okay, these appearances around us are generated through the process of dependent arising just as a lotus never appears in the sky, so we will never see anything independent. Why will we never see a lotus in the sky? Because it's impossible to create the cause for that. Okay. Why will we never see anything that exists independently under its own power? Because it's impossible for such a thing to exist. Yeah, Something that existed independently under its own power would not rely on causes and conditions. It wouldn't rely on parts. It wouldn't rely on anything. Yeah, And so it couldn't function. It couldn't do anything. Because functioning involves change. Yeah. And to change, there has to be, you know, Causes and conditions that react, you know, interact with what that object is. Okay, then Jumipong goes on the completion of a collection of causes carries out the function of inducing an effect. The entire identity of each diverse effect depends upon its particular causes. Okay. So when you get a collection of causes together without any other necessity for some God or anything else, it's going to produce effect, an effect. But the effect is related to the cause. Yeah. So the cause and the effect have some kind of concordant relationship. Yeah. So, uh a peach a peach seed can't produce a sweater. <laughs> okay? There there would be that would be discordant causes and effects. So, um you know, when it says the identity of each a- effect depends on its particular causes. Yeah, so whatever the causes have the ability to produce, that's what will be produced. Yeah. So this really uh, is a call to us to search out what are the causes of our misery and what are the causes of our happiness. Yeah. And not just assume that, well, I'm happy when I eat chocolate, so chocolate is the cause of my happiness. Because if that were so, then the more we ate chocolate, and if we ate chocolate all day, every day, we should be happier, happier, and happier, and that's not what happens. So the chocolate can't be the cause of the happiness. Mm -hmm. It brings a little bit of pleasure. Yeah. But what causes the pleasure... You know, you have our taste bud, the interaction of the taste buds, the chocolate, our expectation that we'll experience happiness. Yeah, that plays a big role, too. Yeah, Because if somebody gave you something that looked like chocolate and told you it tasted awful, when you bit into it, it would probably taste pretty bad, because that's what you were expecting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And karma actually plays a part, too, in whether we experience pleasure or pain. So uh, Jumupam um, continues, Therefore, by knowing what is and is not the case, so by knowing what is the cause of something and what is not the cause of something, yeah. therefore, by knowing what is and is not the case for causes and effects, We can avoid one thing and pursue another. Okay, so having the more we learn about cause and effect, the more we can put our energy into creating the causes uh, that will lead to happiness and avoiding the causes that lead to misery. Yeah, so this is why we study the scriptures, you know, and listen to teachings so that we can learn. What the causes of happiness are and what the causes of suffering are, because we may think we know what they are, but uh, if they were really, yeah, if what we thought was was the cause of real, genuine happiness, then every time we were near that person or object, we should experience undying pleasure that never changes into anything else yeah and when have we ever experienced undying pleasure that never changes into anything else if we had we would still be experiencing that pleasure right now we wouldn't be sitting here okay so just by looking at our own experience uh, we see that we really haven't clearly identified the causes of happiness and suffering. If the 12 links existed inherently, independent of all other factors, they would not be dependent on one another because independent and dependent are mutually contradictory. Okay, so if they're dependent, they can't be independent. If if the 12 links were independent of each other, We couldn't call them the 12 links because they wouldn't be linked together. Okay, Something must be one or the other. It must be dependent or independent. It cannot be both. And this is something, you know, how we fool ourselves because uh, just even, not even going as far as dependent and independent, but looking at Permanent and impermanent, change, you know, changeable and static. We say, "Oh yes, you know, uh, you know, the box of t- tissues changes, and it's not permanent. It's not going to be here forever. It changes all the time." But as soon as we want a tissue, and the bo- we see the box of tissue, and it's all filled with water so that all the tissues are mush. We go, how did that happen? It wasn't supposed to be like that. So we say, oh, yes, I know the tissues are impermanent, but we expect them to be permanent and unchanging, too. Yeah? When we know a person, we know them in one way, and we think, oh, I know that person really, really well. Yeah, and I can kind of predict what they're going to do and how they think and how, you know. And then they do something that we've never even considered that person would do. So we thought, we say, oh, yes, that person is changeable. But then when they do something that we never considered they would do, yeah, they had to change to do that. Then we're we're totally flummoxed, you know. We can't figure it out. So this is is the thing. A good example. I've been I was telling you about that uh, one prison um, assistant director or whatever who arranged to run off with one of the inmates, and. Everybody th- said she um, was a model employee and everybody trusted her. And, you know, so they think she has a permanent personality. And then when it came out that she arranged this whole thing to free him and then run off with him, nobody could believe it. Yeah. And they're like, how could she do that? that? That's totally out of character. Even her mother, you know, didn't expect that kind of thing. So we say, yes, people are changed. They have many aspects, many parts. But then, yeah, when they act in a way that doesn't fit with our image, we freak out, yeah? So the point is, what we think we understand, actually we don't understand very well when a rubber hits the road. okay. So because things exist dependently, we cannot attain the peace we seek by avoiding the causes of suffering. We can attain the peace we seek by avoiding the causes of suffering and creating the causes of happiness. Nagarjuna examined the relationship between causes and their effects. How does an effect arise from a cause? Yeah. So we say, oh, yeah, the seed grows into the sprout. Yeah. The the tree bears some fruit. And, you know, and then all the biologists tell us exactly how that happens and, you know, what's going on inside the cells and this whole thing. Okay. And so we think we understand how the cause brings the result. But the way the Buddhists look at it is a little bit different than the biologists. Yeah. So the Buddhists say, okay, how does an effect arise from a cause? Are the two independent of each other or are they related? So are cause and effect related? Or are they independent from each other? Yeah. What does related mean? Does related mean that they're one thing? Uh-huh. Can they be different things but also related? So are the two independent of each other or related? His Nagarjuna's seminal work, Treatise on the Middle Way, begins with an analysis of arising, Yeah, the process of arising, the process of production. So this uh, famous first verse says, neither from itself nor from another nor from both nor without cause. Does anything, anywhere, ever arise? Okay. So we will fully unpack this verse and its implications in Volume 8. <laughs> okay. Which is, uh, now we're checking the proofs of Volume 8, and hopefully it will come out in December. Hopefully. Okay. Okay. Um, but for now so we'll, we'll talk about it in depth in volume 8 but for now we can begin to question how arising the production of an effect by a cause occurs if it incur if it occurs independently according to Nga- nagarjuna there are four alternatives okay so if the cause uh, is inherently existent and if the result is un inherently existent, then there's four possible ways in which a cause could produce a result. So the thing is, to test out if they exist inherently, we look at these four possible ways, yeah, and we see if any of them are how the cause produces the result. If they aren't, Then we can rest assured that things are not inherently existent, because if they were, they would have to be one of these four. Okay, so what are the four? That verse tells us something arises from itself. Okay, meaning that the the effect is present in the cause, Um, or it arises from another. So it arises. From something unrelated to it, yeah, or it relies, uh, arises from both. It has one factor that arises from itself, and another factor that arises from something else, or it arises without a cause. Okay, and so then a nagajana goes through you know, in detail, examining these four ways. So it's a way of analyzing and thinking that we've probably never had. Yeah? And so at the beginning it seems really rather puzzling to us. But then as we get used to it, we, you know, see that it's actually quite an interesting analysis. Okay. So the first one, yeah, that the effect arises from the cause, yeah, or the, yeah, it arise is produced from itself. So meaning that the effect arises from the cause, which is actually the effect, because the effect exists in that cause in some kind of unmanifest way. Yeah this is kind of the idea really of things being predetermined and fated that you know the the effect is there and it just hasn't arisen yet but because the cause is there we know exactly what the effect is going to be and we just have to wait for that effect to appear out of the cause yeah which is kind of what predetermination is isn't it Yeah, the result is already there. We know what it is. We just can't see it right now. But it will appear and then we'll know. Okay? So here's that first one, if it arises from self. So what it means is the effect already exists in the cause in a manifest or unmanifest way. So it could be manifest, you know, inside that seed you have a itty bitty like tree, you know, or an itty bitty sprout inside there. So it's manifest and but it, we are waiting for it to come out. Or it could be unmanifest. So it's kind of the tree is there, but you just can't see it. Yeah. So one version of arising from self, is that one cosmic substance contains all of creation in an unmanifest form such that the arising of various phenomena is simply the appearance or manifestation of what is already there. Yeah? So can you see that somewhat in maybe the some philosophy you've heard, or some religious idea you've heard. Yeah? Things are are predetermined. Yeah, that person's going to heaven, you're just kind of, you know, for sure, and you're waiting for it to happen, or some, yeah, some cosmic substance, some universal mind, and things just appear out of it and then dissolve back into it. Okay? Okay. So... If that were the case, that the result existed in the cause, then a fully formed sprout would already exist in a seed. Yeah, Does the sprout exist in the seed? No, it doesn't. But some people are going to go, but if it didn't exist in the seed, how could the seed produce a sprout? It can produce something unrelated to itself, and the seed and the sprout are two totally different things. These people would say. So, if the the sprout weren't inside the seed, then where did the sprout come from? Hmm. So it's interesting. We sometimes say the seed transforms into the sprout. Yeah. So this word transform is quite interesting. I was discussing it with one of my friends one time. Because when we say the seed transforms into the sprout, we have this idea of here's the seed, and then the seed kind of, just changes shape in some way and comes out as the sprout. But when we think like that, it's like we think all the things that were inside the seed are now the same things that are in the sprout. They're just arranged differently. Is that how the the sprout grew from the seed? Uh-huh. But when we say transform we have that idea. Yeah, it it isn't an obvious clear idea, but I don't know about you when I really look at the I, the word transform I think all the parts are there in one form in the seed and then they just rearrange and transform into the sprout. As if it, the sprout contained all the same things that were in the seed. Does it? No. Yeah. It's not just the the seed rearranging and becoming the sprout. Different things, the, the sprout maybe got watered, it got some heat, so that caused different chemical reactions among the cells in the seed, and then from that, you started getting a sprout. Yeah, but the cells are different in the sprout than they were in the seed. Okay, so sometimes we'll say, uh, we want to, tra- you know, we, we've heard about transforming our emotions. So I'm going to transform my hatred into compassion. Can you transform your hatred into compassion? No. Yeah? They're totally different mental factors. What do you think? You're going to take the things of, compa- of hatred and somehow go poof and make them, you know, compassion? No, hatred is antipathy towards something. Yeah, Compassion. It has a, a positive feeling towards the object and wanting to help. So when we talk about transforming emotions, we have to have a a, uh, a realistic idea of what that means. Yeah? It's not that we're transforming what a bad emotion into a good one. It suddenly changes entity and character completely.
1: How can we say that karma is definite? As in, you know, a certain um, action leads to a particular result. It sounds like there's Uh, some predetermination involved.
0: No. When it says karma is definite, the definite means that it's definite to ripen. And a non-virtue will ripen as suffering, and a virtuous action will ripen as happiness. Yeah. In other words, you can't, have discordant things. You can't, if non-virtue resulted in virtue, uh, in happiness, you would have, that would be like, uh, you know, a peach pit uh, growing in into a sweater, you know? So they're, they're total, two discordant things. So when we say definite, it doesn't mean... You know, I hit you, so in the next life you're going to hit me. It doesn't mean definite that way. It means that if the cause is created, unless we interfere with the cause, the cause will ripen, and that the cause will ripen into something it has the ability to produce. You know, non-virtue will has the ability to produce suffering. It doesn't have the ver- the ability to produce happiness. That, no, predetermination would be, I hit you this life, so you're going gonna to hit me next life. And that's predetermined. And exactly what I did to you, you're going to do to me. That's predetermination. But the fact that... An, uh, a suffering cause produces a um, suffering result and a virtuous cause produces a happy result it just means that peaches grow from peach trees and chili grows from chili seeds D- did peaches grow from chili seeds no. why not yeah the, the chili seeds don't have the capacity to produce peaches. So non-virtuous actions do not have the capacity to produce happiness.
1: So this capacity, it sounds kind of inherent. <laughs> no,
0: know? it just means, you know, you have something and like what can it become? I mean, when you cook lunch, if if you put the little spiral macaroni in, in the hot water... Are you going to get gazpacho out of that? Why not? Why can't the, the, raw, the, the hard, curly um, pasta grow
1: into gazpacho? Because of what we label gazpacho is not that.
0: It's just a matter of labeling?
1: That's part of it.
0: That that if we called it it produced gazpacho, but we called it some other name, then it it would be if 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 the the pasta gave rise to gazpacho, but we caused we called the the gazpacho spaghetti. Would that make it spaghetti?
1: If the person believed it, really.
0: So if I tell you that you can fly tomorrow and you believe it, you can fly tomorrow? Come on.
1: Depends on how deeply I believe it.
0: You believe it deeply and we'll check up tomorrow okay. if you can fly.
2: Yeah. Can't you just say that they're unrelated? Like the, what? the chili seed and the... Whatever the other example is, the yeah. tomato or whatever. Yeah, they're just they're, completely unrelated. Yeah. They so, like, are. you could also say that virtuous causes are completely unrelated to suffering results. Yeah. I mean, they're just unrelated. Some things are unrelated.
1: But it doesn't always produce the same result because yeah. you create virtue, you get angry, and then it doesn't necessarily lead yeah, to so happiness. If, if you
0: plant a seed in the ground, and then you pour um, poison all over the ground, then is the seed going to be able to grow? So it's similar.
1: So it's not a linear relationship Hmm? necessarily. There's other factors that can come in and influence what leads to what. That's the
0: point. Other factors
1: influence. Yeah.
0: If something could arise from itself, you wouldn't need other factors to influence it and make it arise. Yeah. It could just be poof, magic. But actually, that's being produced without a cause. Yeah, that's actually the fourth one. Okay, then the second one. The effect arises from causes that are inherently other than it. Now, in the verse, it just says, neither from itself nor from another. It doesn't say, neither from itself nor from an inherently existent another. So things do arise from things that are other than them. Okay, the sprout is different than the seed. But they are not inherently different. They are not, neither one of them is inherently existent. Yeah, they're related. And because they aren't inherently existent, they arise dependently, and so the seed can produce the sprout. Okay, this is actually, the this second one, disproving that is, Uh, you know, they go, that one really good, they go into a lot of depth, depth, depth about that one. Okay. Yeah, that's quite interesting. You might recall when we were studying uh, Chapter 2 in Mm -hmm. um, Coming and Going. Yeah. And you know, you have the goer and the going and the gone over. And you get really confused about, you know, if they inherently existed, then, yeah, the goer is going over, you know, the the thing, part to be gone over. But to make it the part that is to be gone over, yeah, it kind of has to be already gone over. And for this to be the goer, if the goer's standing here, the goer isn't going. And we can't say the going, the goer is going to go over that, that territory because the goer is stationary. So to make the goer a goer, it has to have gone over and then it becomes a goer. So then it's a goer, yeah, but it's a goer who's already gone over. (laughs) Yeah, do you remember? And the gone over, yeah, does the goer go over what has been gone over already? or what they are going over okay so when you lift your foot to go over something are you lift are you over the the land that has already been gone over that is presently being gone over or that will be gone over if it's the land that's already gone over why is your foot still above it? If it's the land that is going to be gone over, why is your foot above it? If if it's the land that you're presently going over, which part of your foot is going over it? Yeah, the toe is going over it, the heel is going over it, At what time, you know, you've got to figure out which part of your foot is going over that land. And then what is the moment when that part of the foot is going over? So when is the going actually occurring? And what is it that's actually going? Okay? So you can see that when we... Think of inherent existence, and we lock everything into being very uh, box-like, then it's really difficult to describe anything. Yeah, it's only when we see that words are a conventional tool for communicating that kind of describe something that we all understand, mostly. But we sometimes don't understand each other, and what we fight over is the word. What do you call it? Yeah? Okay. So the effect arises from causes that are... in. uh, So the other option. The effect arises from causes that are inherently other than it. Okay. So while the seed and the sprout are different, they aren't the same. Yeah. They are not inherently different. They are related as cause and effect. If they were inherently different, then they would have no relationship at all, which would mean that the seed could not produce the sprout. Okay. Asserting that the cause and effect both exist inherently is problematic because a dependent relationship between the two would be impossible. Because inherent existence means it doesn't rely on any other thing. Okay. If cause and effect were unrelated, roses could grow from daisy seeds. Yeah, and anything could grow from anything. Yeah. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, we could, like, make the Buddha ha- Hall happen out of this piece of paper. Yeah, because they're, they're both, they're inherently existent and they're different from each other. So this is your future no, it's going to be the present Buddha hall. Boing. Okay, where's your seat in it? Have you chosen your seat? Is your seat labeled with your name tag? <laughs> uh, okay. Then the third option is that things um, arise from both a, Self and others. So this is the view of the Jain school because they say that, yeah, it, the seed, the sprout arose from the seed. So it was part, it was, arose from itself. It was there inside the seed, but it arose from other because there was water that did it. Or a pot arose from clay. Yeah, it was somehow inside the clay, so it arose from self. But it also arose because the potter shaped it. And so the potter was others. So that's how they would say that things arise from self and others, Yeah, with with all of these things being inherently existent. And then fourth, things arise causelessly, means that all things and events arise randomly, there being no relationship between what existed previously and what exists later. So just randomly, just without any causes at all. Yeah. So again, we don't even need a cause to make this become the Buddha, ha- the Buddha Hall. Gee, all of our problems are over. Yeah? Okay. Holding such a view um, that about, co- about things happening uh, randomly, holding such a view is tantamount to saying that a sprout goes without a cause. But does a sprout go, grow without a cause? Yeah. Our whole life, we live our whole life dependent on the notion of cause and effect. Why do we do certain things in our life? Because we want certain effects. Yeah. So we believe in causes, causes produce effects. We don't always know what causes produce what effects, and we get very confused about that. Okay? But we don't really think that things happen randomly, except when we cannot uh, figure out what the cause is. Then we say it happened uh, by magic. So magic kind of means randomly, like no cause, it's magic. But what it, magic really means is we don't understand the cause, because everything has to arise from a because mm-hmm. Okay, So the text unpacking the reasoning that refutes these four erroneous views and establishes the emptiness of true existence of all phenomena often uses seeds and sprouts as examples. So when we were studying this with Geshe Zopa, every morning we would joke that we were going to gardening class, you know, And instead we heard philosophy, but it was all about seeds and sprouts. Hmm? Okay. However, the important issue is how does dukkha arise and how has it ceased? When we wake up in a bad mood, where did our bad mood come from? Did it appear without any cause? Is it someone else's fault? Was it already present in our mind in an unmanifest form? Is it God's will? Or did it arise dependent on its own causes and conditions, in which case it does not exist independently with its own self-enclosed essence? Okay, so these arguments are all used to refute inherent existence. When we initially begin studying these reasonings, we may wonder why the great masters go into such great depth analyzing how sprouts grow when it is perfectly obvious to anyone who has a garden. (laughs) Okay, But when we start to examine this process, what initially seems obvious begins to blur as we recognize our misconceptions and see that they are based on ignorance. Okay, so when you're working in the garden, you know, look at those seeds, or, you know, or look at the sprouts, and where did they come from? The daffodils are out now, yeah. To the daffodils, look, daffodils grow from not seeds, but from bulbs, do the daffodils look anything like the daffodil bulbs? Are there little daffodils inside the bulbs knocking, saying, Let me out of here? <laughs> yeah. Is it magic? How do these or these yellow flowers, yeah, that that are tall and you know have their own shape arise from this kind of uninteresting brown blob, which looks doesn't look anything at all like its result, does it? The bulb and the result don't look anything. If you didn't know that, that the daffodil grew out of the bulb, you would look at that thing, and you would never think that, oh, it's going to produce a flower. doesn't look anything like it. Yeah. So it's interesting because we think, oh, this looks like this, so this caused this. Mm, Not necessarily. (laughs) Okay. Although we feel and believe that everything, ourselves included, has an independent essence that makes it what it is, it is impossible for things to exist in that way. So, if there were something about that daffodil, you know, when you look, let me look at that flower, and it's a daffodil, and everybody knows it is. Yeah, it has the essence of being a daffodil, it's independently a daffodil. And look at it. I mean, it looks really like it has its own self-enclosed essence, doesn't it? And it's a, it, when we look at it, we never think, oh, this arose from a bulb. We look and we see what a beautiful daffodil. But we don't think it arose from a brown bulb, unless maybe you were the one who planted the bulb and you're really attached to that bulb and wanted to know what the flower looked like. Okay. But uh, things that have their own essence like that, that I are their own inner identity that makes them what they are, those things cannot change. Okay. So it is impossible for things to exist independently like that. They are empty of an independent essence. They do not exist from their own side, nor are they self-powered. So, self-powered means that they arose from themselves. They, they powered themselves. Yeah. They talk about cars being self-powered, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the Tesla and one Tesla just jumped a curb and ran into a shopping center. One of the, the, the driverless testless. Yeah. Okay. Nevertheless, things arise and function dependent on other things. Sprouts grow from seeds. Formative action arises due to ignorance. All these things and events and exist conventionally when we don't analyze but when we research for an independent essence in them we cannot find one okay so it is with so it is with the 12 links their being empty of inherent existence does not interfere with their dependent functioning on a conventional level so here you have on a conventional level this is what we're on the conventional level right now Causes arise from, I mean, effects arise from causes, causes produce effects, yeah? But these things are all dependent on each other. We can't find out exactly what it is in that brown blob that makes the daffodil, can we? Yeah? What inside that, that thing makes a daffodil. What is a daffodil anyway? Is it the stems? Is it the petals? Is it the pistons? What in the world is a daffodil? Okay. So when we don't analyze things function, we talk about them, we communicate about them, okay? so their being empty of inherent existence does not interfere with their dependent functioning on that conventional level. Each link arises from its preceding link and in turn gives rise to its subsequent link. The five causal links produce the seven resultant links. What are the five causal links? Ignorance. Ignorance formative, action, clinging, craving, and renewed existence. What are the seven resultant factors? Consciousness, name and form, six sources, what? Contact, feeling, birth, aging, and death. Okay. You forgot the five causal ones. Remember those. Okay. The five causal links produce the seven resultant links. A person cycles in samsara, but cannot be found when we ask, who is the person who cycles in samsara? Really, who is that person? Okay. Sankapa says, therefore, conventionally, the non-existence of the four extremes with respect to arising and the existence of arising are not contradictory. Okay? So the non-existence of Those four alternatives, nothing can arise in in any of those four ways. That does not uh, contradict; it's not incompatible with, you know, flowers growing from seeds and, you know, aging and death arising from ignorance. Okay, the idea being, when you analyze, when you do. On an ultimate level, trying to find out what something ultimately is, you can't find it. But when you don't analyze, then you just use words, then it works. Okay? As a dependent phenomena, our dukkha exists only because its causes and conditions exist. Cyclic existence and its unsatisfactory circumstances are not predestined. They are not due to fate or to the will of a creator deity. They are malleable and can be overcome by ceasing their causes. That's the trick. Okay. In praise to the super mundane, Nagarjuna praises the Buddha. Sophists maintain that dukkha is self-created, that it is created by another and both, and that it arises causelessly. You, the Buddha, have taught that it is dependently arisen. Hmm? So he's praising the Buddha for teaching dependent arising. Okay. And then the reflection. Review the three characteristics of dependent arising the Buddha described. Okay. Consider how those three characteristics apply to the existence of a material object, such as your residence. So you remember when the Buddha talked about different how did characteristics of dependent arising? Do you remember? Do you have to take a minute and look, look it up? Okay, take a minute and look it up. Not arising from a deity? Not arising from a deity? That, that is, is um, one of the characteristics in not arising from a discordant cause. Or not arising from a permanent cause. Sorry. Not arising for, from a permanent cause. And then...
1: Arising from a concordant
0: cause? Yeah, then not arising from a discordant cause or arising from a concurrent cause. And then? The what? Not arising from a creator. Not arising from a creator? No arising from the divine creator's thoughts. What page are you on? That's on page 211, right in the middle. Okay. Okay. No yeah. Okay. So no arising from a divine creator's thoughts. So that was the one you mentioned before. Arising from multiple impermanent causes. Yeah, so the cause has to be impermanent. And then arising from a a cause that has the capacity to give rise to that effect. That's a concordant cause. Yeah. It's produced... uh, uh, Oh, and then, yeah, then in the following paragraph it, it uh, gives another way that the Buddha put it. The world didn't come into being as a result of prior intelligence or an external creator. It did not arise from a permanent cause, and it didn't arise from a discordant clause. And then uh, in the rice seeding sutra, it arises from existing effects, from existing causes, and it arises from selfless causes. Yeah. So think some some about that. Those three. Yeah. So, and the point two was consider how uh, those three characteristics apply to the existence of a material object, such as your residence. Then consider how they apply to the existence of people, yourself, your friends, and your relatives. Do you arrive, arise from a creator deity, from a permanent cause, from, you know, what do you arise from? And then review how nothing can arise from a cause that is itself, from something inherently different from itself, from both and without a cause. And that's the end of Chapter 8. And so when you meditate on the 12 links, then it's going to lead us to renunciation of the pain of samsara and the aspiration or determination to be free to attain uh, liberation. And that's the next sentence of the next uh, chapter. Okay.
2: Any questions? Yeah. This is... Kind of wanting to back up a little bit to the thing about, they describe two kinds of relationship, one nature and causal. Mm-hmm. Is that where, does like Nagarjuna talk about those two or where is mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know we learn it in Tibetan Buddhism, but where does it come from? I know we see that the causal thing, Nagarjuna has gone into it length yeah. For the one nature. The one, yeah.
0: The one nature, I don't know if it if it came from Nagarjuna or one of the Abhidhamikas, you know. I'm not sure. Maybe the Buddha may, may have used that term. The Buddha didn't often, you know, always, at least in the Pali canon, go into all sorts of um, debating topics and theory like that. So, it may, it maybe it's in one of the Mahayana sutras. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Or it could be definitely from, you know, one of the pandits. Yeah. Because when you think about things, either things are, if either they're related or they're not related. And if they're related, they're either cause and effect or they're one nature, which means that if one exists at some time or another, the other one has to exist too. You know, that they're not separate from each other and unrelated.
2: So how does the difficulty that so many of these other traditions had with continuums fit into this? Is that they they couldn't really, because they were holding things as inherently existent, continuums kind of fell apart? them? Yeah. It's if if you don't have the
0: right idea of, of cause and, and and effect, then continuums is different. I mean and the the reason this was important is like how do you uh how does the karma created in one life carry over to the next life? So if each moment of mind were separate and unrelated to the next moment of mind, then, when each moment of mind ceased, it wouldn't give rise to the next moment. So all the karma would cease and couldn't be passed on. yeah, and then that that's a big problem, okay? um so that that's really talking about cause and effect there. But the one nature comes when we talk about,, uh, for example, Um, convention, um, veiled truths and ultimate truths are one nature in the sense that any conventionally existent object has an ultimate nature and that ultimate nature is empty of inherent existence. And those two things cannot, they exist on one object. Yeah and they're related to each other, and one can't exist
2: without the other. So to me, like, like if you were, like, back in the day when they were talking about this, if you had, like, a physics kind of mind or something, you'd be thinking about time, and you'd be kind of like, how are these things related? You know, like, mm-hmm. if they're existing at the same time, Mm-hmm. How are they related? It kind of answers that question. They're either one nature or they're unrelated, but that's just like in that well moment, whatever that is, yeah, whereas causal is more like
0: yeah causal they, explaining they exist things. at two different times, right. one nature they have to exist at the same time, yeah, so one nature is that's how two things are related at the same time. Yeah, but not everything that, that exists at the same time is one nature. Yeah, the computer and the carpet are not one nature, Yeah, even though they're both here now. And then uh, if, the, if things are cause and effect, they have to exist at different times.
2: Yeah, I think that... I'm kind of what this kind of goes to for me is is like the problems that we have in describing conventional reality and why the whole thing with how we label things, like what we got into tonight, Mm -hmm. it's all about the language and the difficulty with describing things. Um, Yeah, can you give an example of what you're thinking about? um, The difficulty. For instance, with tr- maybe, well, for example, just understanding like the mere eye. I mean, unless you can really understand the the importance of labels. I mean, that's, to me, that's the tie-in with the mind only, where mm-hmm. they are kind of a progression from Satantrika. To mm-hmm. me, the tie-in is, is this difficulty with labeling things and okay. the language aspects of things. And then they talk about the characteristics. Yeah, it, 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 they are related you know, the issues.
0: Um, the, using the word label is a bit difficult because we think of label as um, your name tag that's stuck on your desk. We give it a label, okay? And the, it's not exactly like that, you know. There's a basis of designation. And then our mind has to conceive the object, And then, and we conceive the object in relationship to the basis of designation and also in relationship to everything that's around it. And then, you know, from the conception, we give a a name, a term,
2: as a shorthand. And what you're thinking about when we were talking about this earlier is this is why, like, okay, the carpet and the computer are unrelated, when you talk about them with those terms, but when you talk about them as impermanent phenomena, now They're
0: still unrelated. They're both impermanent phenomena, but them being both impermanent phenomena does not make them related. They share a common characteristics. Okay? And the carpet is one nature with the with impermanent phenomena the computer is one nature with impermanent phenomena but they are not one nature with each other okay okay yeah um so someone asks what about the Buddha's prophecy of the appearance of a particular future Buddha isn't that a predetermination too No it's it's the Buddha understanding how causes uh, uh, and conditions are going to unfold Yeah and knowing how ca- something how it's going to unfold unfold is not the same as making, you're making it unfold in that way. So predetermination has the idea that something's being made to happen in this way. Whereas just saying, You know, the Buddha gives a prediction. It's just saying with his knowledge of what kind of causes produces, what kind of effects, this is going to happen. But as His Holiness says, you never actually know the future result until it happens. So the Buddha makes that prediction based on the causes and conditions that he sees now. But everything can change. Yeah? So it isn't definite casting concrete. Yeah, you still have to practice. Even the Buddha, you know, predicts fifteen eons from now you are going to arise as Buddha Oogie Oogie, you know? And you that doesn't mean you just drink tea tea now and then after 15 eons, you know, then woo, I'm Buddha Ikiguhi. It It means you still have to practice. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to stop now.